do we take care of ourselves with the kind of structure and flexibility that we need without getting mired in that sort of toxic diet culture and without feeling bad about ourselves? You know, I feel like there are so many women in the Facebook, in the ADHD Facebook groups who come time and time again, who just feel like, you know, they're, they're feeling like failures because they can't figure out how to, you know, why they have such a difficult time with their weight and, and binge eating or feeling like they're overeating and feeling like they get really excited about things and then they drop them and they don't know why. And, and I'm realizing now, like I, I was always talking about these issues because they related to me and they related to my life. I just didn't realize how much they related to ADHD. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Before I get started, I wanted to share an excerpt from a new review that was left over at womenandadhd.com, the podcast website. This one is from Rachel. Rachel says, I was diagnosed in September and I've been hyper-focusing on everything I can about ADHD. That being said, no one has encapsulated what it feels like better than Alejandra did in this podcast. It brought me to tears. I also did not have the words to express how I felt so different and the conclusions I came to were so similar to hers. I'm just broken. In every way a person can be broken, I was broken. And also pinpointing what was wrong was never tangible. There was a lot of mess in my life and every messy thing seemed very unrelated until the aha moment, which also brought me to tears, when I learned about executive dysfunction. I felt like everything in my life finally clicked together and made sense. I mourned the person I missed out on being because I didn't know how to overcome the strange hurdles in my brain. I'm still mourning her, but also more hopeful for the future than I have ever been. Or, as Alejandra said so eloquently and simply, I could finally let go of the shame that I wasn't good enough. I was just built this way. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing, Rachel. I could not agree more, and I know a lot of other listeners out there also agree, because Alejandra's episode, which is episode 12, is already my most downloaded episode. She had such a moving story, and she so beautifully articulated all of our diagnosis journeys. She was such an incredible guest, which is why I'm so excited to announce that she is back for this episode in which she is interviewing me. That's right. You heard my voice in the teaser at the beginning of this episode, because after I interviewed Alejandra, she said she was loving hearing all of the other women's stories on this podcast, but she also wanted to hear more about my story and my life leading up to my ADHD diagnosis and beyond. So we decided to turn the tables, and now she asks me the questions I ask my guests. So welcome to episode 15, in which Alejandra interviews me. As you probably know by now, I was diagnosed last year at the age of 45. So we go into more detail about what led up to my own diagnosis, as well as some of the early signs of ADHD in my own life, including my complicated relationship with academia, uh, my career as a newspaper journalist, my postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety after becoming a mom, and my own history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating, and how I became a non-diet health coach and a health at every size practitioner. I want to throw in a trigger warning because I do talk very briefly about my childhood sexual abuse, so I wanted to make sure I give everybody a heads up if that is a difficult topic for you. 
I really enjoyed being in the hot seat and sharing my story in more detail. So thank you, Alejandra, for taking the time to interview me. And I hope you all enjoy it too. Oh my gosh. I'm so enjoying all of your podcasts. Oh, I'm so so glad. I'm so excited when I see them come out. I'm like, ah, there's another one. (laughs) Each, yeah, each week there's been like steadily more listeners. So it's like slowly getting momentum and, um, which just makes me so happy because like I find these conversations so interesting and so enlightening. But again, I was like, I don't know if anyone else is going to want to listen to these because they're really sort of, we don't go into a lot of detail about Mm -hmm. ADHD itself. Like, I think you kind of have to really like jump in and hit the ground running with our conversations. But I also feel like most people who are going to find this podcast are women who have probably like just discovered they have ADHD. They've been binging on episodes, uh, you know, podcast episodes and and hyper-focusing and finding out all this information. And so Absolutely. that's where they're finding me at that point when they're like, oh yes, look, you know, I'm relating to all of these other women's stories so much. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those things where you're, I feel like it's been such a puzzle for our whole lives. And especially those of us who have just recently been diagnosed, we've lived our whole lives this way and we've done all of the work and done all these things. And then to find something and a bunch of people who are like, just like us, it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's just so awesome to, to hear language put to the things that, um, that you've struggled with and to see that there's not just, you're not the only one, you know, Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've noticed with all the interviews. It's really just that overwhelming sense of feeling like seen and feeling understood for the first time and, and just looking at your life through just turning over everything. Right. Well, in all of my listening, I, I catch little bits of your story and I've been so curious about your story, which is why I was like, you know, after we talked, I'm like, well, I really want to know your story. So, um, can you tell me about your life growing up and what characteristics about your younger self make you look back and think, Oh my gosh, of course that was ADHD. Yeah. Gosh. I think the biggest thing for me was having difficulty in school, Mm -hmm. Uh, around middle school was when it was like my grades just fell off a cliff and I had two older brothers who were very you know straight A's scholarships Ivy League schools I mean they were both like just perfect academic sons and then Mm -hmm. I came along and my parents didn't really know what to do with me and um I, you know, I got those report cards every year that said the same thing, which was, you know, Katie is not performing up to her potential. And I just always felt like, what is my potential? I don't know what it is. Why does everybody else see it? You know, I'm not sure what is wrong. You know, like, I, I feel like I have a learning disorder of some sort, you know, Um, I just don't know what it is. But at the Um, time, of course, I just thought, well, I'm lazy and I'm bored and I could do it. I'm just not applying myself and all of those mm -hmm. things. And so um, I really struggled. I really struggled in high school. And I was I went to a school for the performing arts. And yeah, it was sort of it was very much like fame, (laughs) but in Toronto. Um, and I, so I was in the gifted program. I was, so I was, I was like one of those chronic gifted underachievers who (laughs) had, you know, my mother always said like, you have the highest IQ of the three of my children. And yet you, you get like C's and D's. It's so crazy. And she would always sort of be like, 
you know, I guess you have street smarts and not book mm-hmm. smarts. You know, she was always trying to like explain away why right. uh, I was the way I was. And, and um, I always kept thinking they were going to kick me out of the gifted program because you get tested like, you know, every year, every other year. And I never really mm-hmm. knew what the tests, what the results were, but like, I never got kicked out. But at the same time, always felt like I was struggling and at the back, you know, at the, at the bottom of the class. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I got interested in like the theater community in high school and would put all of my, um, energy and focus into the student run plays that were at the, in my high school. And we would be up mm-hmm. until like midnight and we would spend all of our time working on these plays. And I would be so, you know, fully into it. And and I was amazed that the other students in this in my friends who were working on these plays were also somehow finding time to like do homework and you know pass <laughs> their classes. And I sort of felt like, uh, like at you know, we would get done with these shows and I'd have this kind of hangover where I'd realize, like, oh right, I also have to do this school stuff. And so when it was time to graduate, um my my grades were terrible in Canada. You don't have SATs. You just, there's no standardized testing, so really you just you you get into university based on the, your highest grades. You know your six highest grades, and so I didn't get into anything. I applied to some schools. Nobody took me, and all of my friends went to college. And I just was like, what do I do now? Um, I really sort of felt like you know. And my mom, of course, was like, well college isn't for everybody. You know, she was always trying to make me feel better, but I sort of knew that I was like, I, you know, I was just sort of like, I can do this. Um, and so I, I took an extra year and, um, was just like worked my ass off mm-hmm. and I got like all nineties in that one year. And it was funny. Cause like, now I look back at my, the way in which I studied is such an ADHD way of studying where I like, I would go to a coffee shop and, um, and just like stay at a coffee shop until 4am, like drinking coffee, chain smoking and getting my work done. <laughs> and, um, and then I would go, you know, I'd sleep from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. I would go to school and then I would come home and take a nap from like 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then I would get up and go to the coffee shop. <laughs> and I did that for like an entire school year. So again, you know, and then I got into university and um, again, like as soon as I was in my first year of university, like I just, I was so overwhelmed by like, meeting new friends and, and just the whole like freedom of it all. And, and I had a really hard time just like going to getting myself up and going to class. And, and then once I realized I was falling behind in class, my default is like, just run away and stop going. And then I got to the, you know, I got to the end of my first year and I had, I had actually flunked some classes and was just like, I'm wasting my parents' money. You know, I'm, uh, this is just not for me. And so I dropped out. And um, spent a year kind of finding myself and again, sort of had that moment of like, well, if I don't get a BA, if I don't graduate from college, like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't know. And I was sort of like, I know I can do this. And Mm -hmm. so I ended up after that year, uh, I went back and again, I just sort of was like, 
I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to, you know, get my grades up. And I did, like I sat in the front row of all of my lectures and I really like worked so hard. And now in retrospect, I worked like 10 times harder than anybody else to get these grades, you know? And I think about like all of my study sheets and and, and the amount of like mental and emotional and physical energy it took to be that organized and focused for an extended period of time. God, like it was so difficult, um, but I did it. Like I ended up on the Dean's list every year for the next year, three years until I graduated. Uh, and somewhere in that period of time, I discovered the school newspaper. And, and that was sort of a, this, awakening because that was the first time I ever sort of had this idea of like what I wanted to do with my life. I was obsessed Mm. with the newspaper and I, um, just, you know, it was, I I would leap out of bed at like 7am to to go to the news, the newspaper offices and just was like everything about it. I loved it. I loved the writing and the interviewing and the, and I loved the design and the photography. And it was just like, I just, was so excited and loved it so much and had found my people. And, um, at the end of my last year, this is another thing that I kind of had forgotten I ever did, but it's such an ADHD thing looking back. Like I, I had enough credits to graduate and get my BA, but I was finishing off my last year. And during that last semester, I got a job at my first job at a newspaper and that was going to start as soon as the semester was over. And so once I knew that I had this job waiting for me, like I had no incentive to finish my BA. So I just like stopped going to classes and I got like straight Fs on all of my classes in my last semester. And so I don't even know what my GPA was graduating but like I sort of always had this this dirty secret that like if I ever wanted to go do graduate work if I ever wanted to go do my master's or anything like I had to I would probably have to go back to my university and plead with them to take all of these f's off of my transcript um but again you know it's the way in which we just like lose interest drop it you know right Uh, yep so that that was sort of the biggest thing um, that I look back and realize, like how when I was so inter- you know when I was interested in something, I would just absolutely give it one hundred and fifty percent, but then everything else would kind of fall fall apart in the background. And I always sort of yeah. felt like, you know, it was like going to a party and partying really hard, and then everybody else somehow f- figures out how to get up the next morning and go to work and function. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know how you guys are able to do everything. I feel like I can do one thing and and then everything else again, like just falls apart. Yeah. Right. I, I see myself so much in, in your, in your story of just those college years. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think like, how in the heck do we get through that? <laughs> I know, I know. And I think, you know, I, I, from talking to so many other women who have had this experience, you know, where it's like you have these moments of productivity in your life. Mm-hmm. So you sort of have this, you, you have this narrative where you talk to yourself where you're like, I know I can do it. You know, right. I've done it. So what's wrong with me that I can't do X, right. Y, and Z. And, you know, just constantly beating ourselves up for the fact that we're mm-hmm. not always this productive in everything we try. Yeah. No, absolutely. Story of my life. Yeah, I know, right? Especially because I find that because you're so bright and you tested gifted, 
So then everyone has this expectation of you that you can, that you should be performing at this other level. And then they're like, well, what's wrong with you? Why, why is this so hard? And then you start to question yourself like, yeah, why, why is it so hard? And it just creates, I feel like a, a loop of, of, of negativity and of discouragement. And I think like at some point in life that really starts to drag you down when you kind of have that reinforced over and over. I mean, you know, when you have like in, in, in every new setting you go into, everyone's like, wow, man, Katie's so great and so bright or, you know, Alejandra too, and this, that. And then, and then you just start to feel like, man, I, I don't know that I can meet those expectations because I can't keep it up. <laughs> you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny now because I think, you know, when, when the, the idea of ADHD was first introduced by my therapist where she suggested that I probably had this. You know, I, like many adult women, had the same reaction, which was like, I'm not hyper. I've never been hyper. In right. fact, I actually, you know, can spend days on the couch despondent. You know, like I'm actually like a very sort of like feel like a very lazy, depressed person. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. feel hyper. And so now when I realize that like we have the swing, you know, we have the hyper-focus swing, we have the productivity swing, and then we need to rest. Our brains need that rest from all of that that hyperactive mind. And that rest is necessary, you know? I feel like I used to feel so guilty about it. I used to feel like when I was in that moment that I was so lazy because I wasn't being productive. Um, Whereas now I'm like realizing that there's sort of the yin-yang sense of like one is necessary and they're both equally necessary. I feel like I have so much more grace with myself when I am resting um, now that I kind of understand what's happening a little better. Yeah. So in your adult life, so, you know, moving through beyond, like once you started, um, getting more interested in the newspaper is that is that the the newspaper is the job that you took like right before college ended yeah yeah okay it was, so from that oh I'm sorry go ahead I was just gonna say it was the school it was working as the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper that that one position was like a full-time job okay yeah. awesome so from that point in your life to pre-diagnosis what were sort of like the things that you struggled with well I always was sort of back and forth with therapists in terms of struggling with depression and anxiety, even in college. um, You know, I, I struggled a lot. I, I was a victim of sexual abuse when I was a kid. And so I think anytime you have sexual abuse or trauma in your life, in your childhood, there's always that sense of like anything that happens in your life from then on, you wonder how it connects to this one event, you know? And so I've always sort of been seeing therapists and always sort of dealing with like, when I'm depressed, when I'm feeling anxious, does it relate to this one thing that happened to myself in my childhood? And and usually when you mention, oh, I have this thing that happened to me, a therapist is like, oh, we hit the jackpot with you, right. you know, let's talk about it. And, and so I think, you know, I spent so many years, um, being treated for depression and anxiety and, and now realizing that like a lot of that was just sort of feeling like I didn't belong or, you know, a lot of the things that I'm realizing is very common with, with people with ADHD, which is sort of feeling like everybody else has the, their ducks in a row. And, and I didn't get that manual and, and just always feeling like, 
you know, there's a better way to deal with this situation and I'm not doing it and I can't figure out how to do it. And I don't even have the tools to better myself, you know? So, I mean, there was definitely moments throughout my life. Um, I left Toronto on a whim, which is also like a total ADHD thing, which is like, I just impulsively picked up and moved to New York, um, to, and, um, met my husband. And when I got pregnant for the first time, that was like a big, big emotional change for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had really bad postpartum depression and was treated for that. You know, it was the first time in my life where I like had this job that I absolutely loved. I was working in a newspaper in New York City. I just felt like on top of the world. And then we had this baby and suddenly I just felt like I had to go back to work after 12 weeks, which is just Mm. like unheard of. I mean, in Canada, you know, where all my friends were still back there having babies, they were having, they were getting 12 months of maternity leave. And yeah. And so here I was in the U S feeling like, what have I done? Why am I like, I've made all these life choices and like that have led me up to this now having only 12 weeks of maternity leave going back to work. In a, in a newsroom environment where it's like deadlines. And yeah. I remember my boss telling me that like, if you want to pump, you um, you can either pump, because it was like a newsroom where it was all just desks, you know, we didn't have offices. And so she was like, if you want to pump, you have to go either into the wheelchair bathroom, which is the only place where you can lock the door, uh, which is where everybody went to like mm-hmm. do their business mm-hmm. or you can ask the editor in chief to vacate his office every time you want to pump it's on deadline. Oh. Uh, so I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So I ended up like weaning her right when I went back to work. And then I felt all this guilt about not breastfeeding. And mm-hmm. so it was just so many factors of just like feeling like I, now I was not only was I bad at my job, but I also felt like I was a bad mother and I just like yeah. fell apart and it was really difficult. And I, now I realized like, you know, again, it was that sense of like emotional regulation, ways in which you can kind of manage yourself in, in ideal situations, but then you throw in a baby or you throw in sleep deprivation and it's like, everything just fell apart. <laughs> and I, so now, you know, and, and so I, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, but now I look back and I think like, I, I didn't have a lot of the symptoms of postpartum depression. I really wasn't like, I wasn't suicidal. I didn't really sort of feel despondent. I didn't want to hurt myself or or my child. Like I really just had emotional outbursts all the time and I was just angry. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the antidepressants really helped with that. Um, But now looking back, I wonder how much of that was really just my sleep deprivation leading me to not be able to manage my emotional regulation issues because of all of these changes. Um, so definitely like both babies, uh, were, were times in my life where I really, really struggled and felt again, like, like I just sucked, you know, I was just like, why am I doing this? I just, I'm so bad at this. And, and, you know, having people in my life being like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a great mother. You're doing a great job. You're doing all this. And Mm -hmm. and it just never registering with me, just really feeling like, I don't know what you're talking about. I am, I am an utter failure. And so, okay, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to ask, do you think that this 
the sense of being really hard on ourselves isn't is can be attributed to ADHD or do you think that's just because on the outside people think that we're you know doing so much better and we know our internal struggle and how hard it is I mean do you have any thoughts on that Absolutely I think that is definitely very common in people with ADHD who have high expectations of themselves and right. also really, but again, sort of feel like they don't have the tools to accomplish what they know they can accomplish and sort of feeling really lost. And, and, and oftentimes people just saying to you, like, don't be ridiculous. You're fine. It it falls on deaf ears. I don't, I don't feel like that really is helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get into this situation where you start to like bottle everything up, you right. feel misunderstood, you sort of don't even know where to get help. And and right. you end up again, like you said, that cycle of negativity just starts to like turn into a, a shame sub spiral. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think I feel like I've, I feel like I've in, in talking to other mothers, especially like, I think we've all really share that, um, just feeling of just being so hard on ourselves. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like, I think that is really common. I mean, I I don't think, I think most mothers feel that way. I don't know that that, that might be just like a motherhood thing. Right. (laughs) Um, But I think that we just, we are, are definitely, we, I think we struggle with being hard on ourselves and also like not feeling like, um, we can embrace the positives very mm-hmm. well. I think we tend mm-hmm. to really ruminate on the negatives. Yeah. I think and, I read about that recently. Yeah, right? Uh, like rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, mm-hmm. and learning all about the ways in which we experience it as as women and as, as mothers. And and I think, you know, again, that just that constant feeling of like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And I'm not really having any evidence. Right. <laughs> But feeling like, you know, something happened that makes you just sort of, um, and I've said this in interviews in the past too, where I'm like, I've always had this kind of overarching narrative that I'm a failure and I have these moments in my life where I'm not, you know, where I think, right. oh, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I accomplished this and I can do this. But in general, I'm kind of fumbling through life as this, as this <laughs> failure. And my, the diagnosis and talking to other women and like this realization of how, you know, positive this, this neurodivergence is, right. has, has, has shifted my, how I talk to myself in such a yeah. radical way and has really shifted how I look at like rest and how I look at hyperfocus and all of these sort of things that had such a negative connotation for me in the way I would view who I was fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. has completely shifted, which is just, I mean, it's like the world is my oyster now, you know, like, I just feel yeah. like there's so much has opened up in terms of, um, yeah, just like, yeah, relating to myself, relating to other people. So what would you say some of those positives are that you're seeing kind of show up? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I joke about this podcast uh, because, you know, the, I went from you know, having it suggested to me, kind of really taking it seriously, getting a diagnosis. And then after getting the diagnosis, I like within two weeks time, I had decided I wanted to launch this podcast. I like gave it a name, designed the cover, uh, you know, reached out, started interviewing women, like, you know, launched this thing without really even thinking about what I was doing, you know, just like full steam ahead. And I mean, 
I love that. Like, I love the fact that we are so like excitable and, you know, that, that impulsivity and, um, when, when that comes together and that combination of impulsivity and just being excited and being like totally nerdy and, and Mm -hmm. hyper-focusing and, and so everything about this podcast has been so great for me because like, I realized, you know, oh my God, like, this is how I learn. I learn by having these really intense conversations with people. And it's what I've always loved. Like I've always loved having one-on-one conversations. I love interviewing people. It's what I loved in journalism. And so I was sort of making all of these realizations about, you know, things in the past that I've just loved doing and how they all came together into this one project so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's funny because now I realize like talking to other women with ADHD, like there's such fascinating conversations because we're just like love talking and we love yeah. talking about ourselves and um, we love like research, you know, like one of the, one of the things mm-hmm. I've, I've learned from so many women is that I love learning. I just was bad at school, you know? Right. And so again, yeah. it's like reframing with that new, um, with that new lens of like, oh, we're such like intense, excitable learners. And so right. Yeah. And so I just love that. And I love that about myself. And I love the fact that I've been able to kind of channel it into this right. project. And I love learning about podcasting and and sound editing and like all of that right now has been my my hyper focus. And so I love that. And like I said, like I love one-on-one deep connections. I love relationships. I love learning about myself through uh-huh. talking to other people. And uh-huh. and so that's just been great. And it's funny because like I, you know, I was just talking to the interview I had with Emily yesterday. She had said, we were talking about like, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? And I was asking like, I wonder if it's, it's always been really difficult for me to decide which one mm-hmm. I am. And I wonder if that's very common with people with ADHD that we're really like, like I've never been able to answer that question. Sometimes I'm the life of the party. Like I love acting and theater and performing. And sometimes, you know, when I can be on and I really like get charged up when I have great conversations with people, like it does fuel me. But then there's other times where I think like, God, I need a lot of alone time. I need a lot of downtime. <laughs> I'm, you know, social distancing was fantastic because it was right. like, you know, home <laughs> in my bubble with my husband and two kids. And, you know, like we're such homebodies and sort of feeling like in a, and in a lot of ways, feeling like an introvert. And also, I think the relationship aspect of like object impermanence and the, and the fact that it's very difficult for us to maintain friendships and relationships because we're not really thinking about people all the time, you know, right. That was something I never really realized was ADHD. And I've noticed again, like from talking to other women, that common issue of, of people who in your life who have felt like they work harder at your friendship than you do, right. or, you know, like getting those texts of like, this is the third time I've reached out to you and you don't reach out to me. And, and you're always feeling like a terrible friend because you forget right. about people um, and, and uh, loving and adoring them, but just right. sort of feeling like you're very in the moment. You're very like, whatever's in front of you is right. what you're focused on. And so we don't make very great friends in that way. <laughs> um, and I don't remember what I was talking about. 
So, well, we went from the, the being the extrovert or introvert, which oh, I right. have yeah. on that. So on that topic, I've always considered myself the most extroverted introvert that ever there was because it's the same sort of thing. And now I see that maybe that is a common trait when, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what it is. Like there's, you get excited, you want to be around people, but then at the same time, I really enjoy being by myself. I mean, to the point where like we have a thing in our house called alone time where we all just retreat to our rooms and we just need time to just be by ourselves. (laughs) So that's funny. Um, And then the next thing that you were you were talking about, oh, about the object permanence and friendships. I find that to be also something that, I mean, is very common, at least for me. I was, I have a friend who um, just reached out to me yesterday and I had been thinking about her. Like I, I would think about her, but never when I could actually reach out. And so like, I'm in the shower, so I'm not going to, you know, pull my phone into the shower or I'm driving and you know, that sort of thing. And then I start to think, Oh my gosh, the the next thoughts that come up when I do think of her, I think, Oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm a terrible friend. She's probably keeping track of how often I keep, I call her and how often she calls me. And then she finally reached out to me and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, friend. (laughs) But I know, I feel like that's been the story of my life. You know, if they're not, if there's not, even with family, because I live far away from family. So I mean, I don't know what it's like. Are you, are you, um, do you have family close by? Not really. Yeah, we're all scattered and we're all very, I mean, we're all similar in that we, you know, we don't like, I've never had a family situation where we call each other every day. We call each other like every month if we're lucky, more like every six months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, it's the same thing. And sometimes I think, man, I'm not a person who sends out Christmas cards. How about you? Do you? I used to when my, when my kids were babies and I sort of wanted to show them off with cute photography. I was very good about sending out Christmas cards, but it's kind of dropped now that they're older and yeah. I, I've sort of <laughs> I haven't done it over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, uh, that was always like my incentive was, you know, having fun coming up with and making the card right. and then needing yeah. a reason to send it to people. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's sort of this perfect combination of like object impermanence and then the RSD of feeling like a bad person and a bad friend all the time. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but like with, I think this was probably quite common when in March when everything shut down, I like had to leave social media because it was so volatile. I mean, it was like there was the election stuff and then there was the mask or no mask. Like it was just so much was happening and it was so overwhelming. And I just like left. And so, you know, six months went by where there were so many people that I just like was not in touch with because I'm just mm-hmm. terrible at reaching out to people. And mm-hmm. I just was sort of happy in my bubble and listening to the news and hyper-focusing on whatever I was interested in. And and so I sort of woke up one day after months of, of, of not being in touch with anybody and kind of realizing like, I need, you know, I really miss this, you know, I really miss like intense, you know, going out for coffee with a friend, you know, or those sorts of things. But at the same time, feeling like, well, too much time has passed for me to now reach out to these people. So that I just like ghost, you know, that I just feel bad that too much time has passed. So I don't reach out Mm -hmm. to anybody because I feel guilty. And then I'm like, well, that friendship's (laughs) over. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting pattern in my life where 
if, if too much time has passed and I haven't reached out to somebody, then I feel bad that I haven't reached out to them. And then I just don't ever reach out to them. And then I'm right. like, oh, well, that friendship's over. <laughs> so we need to find a bridge, well, bridge then, to circle back. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, I mean, social media has been, has been kind of, has positive and negatives for that reason too, of like, you can just kind of disappear for six months and then show up again. Okay. And people are, people are still there and they're still like, Oh, Hey. And you know, not as many people will see your posts because you haven't been posting regularly and whatever the algorithm is. But for the most part, you're just kind of like, you don't have to explain yourself. You just sort of <laughs> show up again. Actually like nothing happened. That's funny. I find too, um, with social media that there's, depending on how I'm feeling, like if I'm in the extrovert or introvert, I can't show up when I'm in my, you know, little cocoon of hiding. And, and so as far as my posts, I, I rarely ever post. So no one ever sees my posts. So it doesn't, it's like, I don't even exist on socials. <laughs> uh, I get, yeah, I have the impulsivity issue with, with social media, which is like, I will go on it. I will post 10 times a day for three days straight and then I won't get the engagement or the feedback that I like need uh, or think, you know, I'm like, I'm putting all this work and I'm not getting enough likes. So screw it. I'm just going to not do it. And then I leave for another six months. And like, right. you know, <laughs> I realize that like people are very particular. People are very specific about like when you're supposed to post and how often, like there's all of these like ways that you can kind of figure out the system of algorithms and all of that. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. I just like feverishly post whenever I think about it and then stop. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like a so social media nightmare for my business. But any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids six through 18. With GoHenry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Oh my gosh. So speaking of business, tell me about, about what you do. Yeah, so... So I was, like I said, I was a journalist for 20 years. And then when we had my second child, um, because I had struggled so much with my daughter, when my son was born, I was basically like, I don't want to work full time because it was so hard. And so we left New York City, we moved to the Hudson Valley. So we're like two hours north of the city. And mm -hmm. so we, we live in like a more rural community and like an old house where we could live on just my husband's income alone. And so I had my son and... While I didn't struggle with like going back to work and all of that stress, uh, I did struggle with having, you know, being in the middle of nowhere and not knowing anybody and, and really sort of not being close to my mother and, and feel also sort of feeling like depressed that I was a stay at home mom. You know, I just sort of felt like I had no worth anymore because I wasn't working and sort of struggling with that and, and not really enjoying 
motherhood the way I felt I should, you know, like I didn't, uh, I had like a whole other list of, of reasons why I had postpartum depression that time around. And I was doing some like local freelancing stuff, but then uh, newspapers, like uh, journalism stuff. But I, I ended up going to Weight Watchers um, after I had weaned my son. So it was like, he was like a year old and I went to Weight Watchers to get my body back. And, and I've been dieting my whole life. I mean, I, I went, I, I started dieting when I was 14. I went on slim fast with my mom and, you know, I, I wrote a whole book about my dieting issues. So, um, but I had gone, I went to Weight Watchers for the first time. I had never gone before. And, you know, typical, like I'm, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 150%. And so like, I lost 50 pounds, like uh, really fast. And I was super obsessed with Weight Watchers and tracking and counting points and everything about it. And I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And so I became a, a Weight Watchers leader and loved it. You know, I loved being up there and chatting with all these like old ladies. I would always, you know, I would always say like going to Weight Watchers is like AA meets Mary Kay. <laughs> Uh, right and I just like I just loved like having a reason to get up and put on makeup and 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 walk around and help everybody get you know lose their weight and live their best life and and I and and it was so random but I just loved it and and it makes sense to me now like with my theater background that I loved sort of being on stage and and uh, so through Weight Watchers, I started doing the telecoaching program. I don't even know if they still have it, but they had launched the idea of getting one-on-one telecoaching. And so I uh-huh. did that. And and again, I loved it. And I was like, I want to do this like full-time. I want to become a health coach. And so I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I got my certification as a holistic health coach. And I, I launched Worth It With Katie initially as this kind of you know, lose weight, um, eat whole foods. You know, I became very like obsessed with whole organic foods Mm -hmm. and, you know, live your best life. And and that's what I was helping my clients with. But at the same time, I was really struggling with this, with a secret binge eating disorder. I mean, I weight watchers and the extreme sort of deprivation of, of calorie counting had led me to have this really terrible binge eating issue at night. And I had always kind of struggled with binge eating throughout my life, but it had gotten really bad. And it had gotten to the point where I was like, I have to solve this issue. Um, because I was like gaining weight again. And I felt like I was going to lose my job. And you know, how can I help people lose weight if I can't figure it out myself and all this stuff. And that was sort of when I um, really started looking into like why I binge eat and realized that binge eating is actually a symptom of the deprivation of from dieting, that it's not like an issue in itself, it, that it's, and for whatever reason, I just had never made that connection. I sort of had that feeling of like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Um, and that's when I started looking into, you know, the deprivation aspect of dieting and, and how harmful it is. And I sort of, and I, really just did this like 180 with my health coaching and was like, you know what, the reason why we are dieting and gaining the weight back over and over and over again is not because we are the failures who can't stick to the diet. It's the dieting that is the problem. You know, it's, it's a whole mm. act of, of the way in which we go whole hog and, and try really hard to lose this weight as fast as possible. And then our body freaks out and all of this other stuff starts happening. And mm. so 
Um, yeah. So then, you know, now I coach people in a sort of non-diet approaches to health and wellness. And I, and I, I embraced intuitive eating and the health at every size philosophy, which is really, you know, about the fact that like we can live fulfilled lives and pursue health outside of this weight loss paradigm, you know, that, that diet culture is selling us. And there are ways in which you can kind of work with your body instead of against your body. And so you're not ending up in these situations where your body's, you know, basically where you, your body starts wanting to binge, you know? Right. But again, you know, and so I've been doing that for four years now and I love it. But I also now with my ADHD diagnosis, I have just made so many um, incredible like realizations, realizing I hadn't, I didn't realize before I was diagnosed and before I started looking into ADHD, how common binge eating is among um, adults with ADHD and sort of why that is, you know, that there's this whole other element of, um, the impulsivity and also just like have, we, we are very, um, the, uh, inattentive when it comes to our hunger and fullness cues, you know? And so we tend to overeat, not because we are gluttonous, but because we're just not paying attention and you're talking and you're having fun at dinner. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're like, oh my God, I ate too much and I'm so full and that food was so good. And I didn't want to stop. You know, like, like all of these things that I realized I had done and just thought I was like a glutton or a bad diet or all of these other reasons why I thought I was a failure at yet again, something else I'm realizing like, Oh no, like our brains are really not wired to be very uh, intuitive about like intuitive about our health in general, really. And, um, and I realized like why we love diets so much and why I think diets are kind of tailor-made for the ADHD brain because we feel out of sorts and we feel disorganized all the time. And so here a diet is a way in which we can kind of get structure and, and, and purpose. And, you know, we get so excited and all of that stuff, the tracking and the writing down and, and the points and weighing and all of that stuff is like, so ADHD, you know, but then we also can't sustain that for very long and we get bored and then, and we drop it or we feel, you know, you hit a wall or something happens and then you feel like you're a failure. And, and, you know, I joke about like, when I was a Weight Watchers leader, there were people who would come back over and over and over again, who would say like, Weight Watchers is the only thing that ever worked for me. So here I am again. And I'm like, it's clearly not working for you if you have to come back over and over and over again. Uh, and, and sort of realizing how much we internalize that failure. And, and you know, the diet, the program, when you're losing weight, the program works. When you're not losing weight or when you're gaining it back, inevitably you're the failure, not the program. And, uh, you know, and, and so... I'm on all, all over the place. I just love talking about this so much because I just like, I think that there are ways in which we need, like, I think it's okay to recognize when it comes to our health and especially our energy and our vitality and, and things that we, that might like elude us. We need structure, you know, we need focus and we need ways in which we can, um, devote time and energy to say exercise or like, you know, like I've learned so much about um, pattern planning and time blocking when it comes to exercise and health. And, and it's funny because I, I always had a difficult time with, with exercise when I related it to weight loss and dieting because it felt like such a chore. And now when I've made that connection of like getting up and moving in the morning, 
especially outside, especially in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like essential to my brain and the rest of my day. And so when I sort of started thinking about exercise in terms of like my own optimum performance in terms of my brain and stopped thinking about it in terms of this chore that I should be doing more of, it's, it's changed my relationship with it. Now it's like a Mm non-negotiable. And I think, you know, again, like, I think that there are lots of people who have come to that conclusion on their own, just as adults. Uh, But people with ADHD really need to have things like laid out for them over and over and over again, because we forget and, and you sort of lose sight of the big picture. Uh, So now I'm really sort of pivoting to talking more about that connection. You know, the idea of like, how do we take care of ourselves with the kind of structure and flexibility that we need without getting mired in that sort of toxic diet culture and without feeling bad about ourselves? You know, I feel like there are so many women in the Facebook, in the ADHD Facebook groups who come time and time again, who just feel like, you know, they're, they're feeling like failures because they can't figure out how to you know, why they have such a difficult time with their weight and and binge eating or feeling like they're overeating and feeling like they get really excited about things and then they drop them and they don't know why. And and I'm realizing now, like I I was always talking about these issues because they related to me and they related to my life. I just didn't realize how much they related to ADHD. Right. <laughs> and so now I sort of feel like I really want to spell that out because I think we need that. Mm-hmm. Um and, and really sort of spell out those connections and say, like, this is why we like dieting. Let's do this in a way that's not going to make us feel bad about ourselves in the end. Yeah. So do you, how, because I find myself in that same, in that same cycle of, like, wanting and needing to, like, reign in the chaos. But then what I do is I'll create these plans and then I rebel against my own plans. Or I look at my plan and I don't understand what I was thinking when I made it and why I made it this way. And it doesn't make sense to me. And so then I throw it away. Mm -hmm. How would you advise someone (laughs) with this problem? Like I'm sure many of us have. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I think so much of it has to do with reframing that narrative, you know, realizing that I'm not the failure. The plan has failed me. So going back to that plan and saying like, okay, what is it about this plan that I set up for myself? That's not working for me. It's not because I just don't care and that I'm lazy because that's where I always go. So let's recognize the fact that that's where my mind always goes and say like, okay, there's something in this automation plan that isn't setting well with me, you know? So like, for instance, I downloaded this app called Timo recently and I've been using it and it's a pattern planning app where I lay it out like to the minute, you know, it's T-I-I-M-O and and it's very visual. It's, you know, and so I set out and I'm like 6 a.m. coffee, 6.15, do your sun salutations, 6.30, make breakfast for your kids. And like, I'm, I'm on, you know, every morning I'm drinking coffee and I'm looking at my phone and my alert comes on. That's like 6.15, time for do your sun salutations. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then at 6.30 comes along and it's like time to make breakfast. And I'm like, 
I'll do that later, you know? And so I'm realizing, you know, it's not that I don't want to do these things. I've just like overscheduled a little bit too much. It's it's impractical. And so I love that I'm excited about it. And I love that I recognize that these are things I want to do. I just sort of have to go back and be like, okay, so obviously this time that I, you know, I got overzealous and I wanted to do everything all at once, that's not working for me. So what are ways in which it can work for me? And, um, you know, so I, I walk my dog every morning when my kids get on zoom. And so that's like the new normal, you know, my kids start zoom at 8am. And so at 8am, I take the dog for a walk. And that is like, that is works for me. And that is a Mm non-negotiable and that's great. And my kids know that. And so I sort of think, okay, well that works. So let's keep doing that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and let's not feel bad about the things that aren't working and, and just try, you know, get up, brush off the dust and try again and yeah. learn from the fact that you're not going to live on a 15 minute time schedule every right. morning. <laughs> but I think, I mean, just even my own realizations with how, again, like how our self-talk changes so much with that clarity and that diagnosis, the same thing happens when it comes to, you know, looking at a schedule as uh, again, like, you know, changing that narrative to like, I'm not the failure. This, this plan has failed me. And so let's just tweak it. Let's just go back and, and work at it again. It's going to be an ongoing process. Cause you know, like right now I can, I have this schedule because my kids are on zoom, but I don't know if, when they're going back or if they're going back, you know, like our, our lives are changing all the time and that we have yeah. to be flexible. And if we get overzealous and, and, and overschedule ourselves, we're just more likely to dump it. Right. So true. I feel like I'm constantly on the hunt to figure out new systems, to how, how to get myself to operate like a normal person. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. And, and, you know, and I think there is no shortage of workshops and downloads and mm-hmm. webinars about getting your goals and organizing and doing all right. this, like you can get obsessed with it. Right. Um, if you feel like that is something that eludes you, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think, again, it's sort of, you get, eventually you just get to this point where you, "Eh, I'm not interested in that anymore. Right. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I go, I oscillate back and forth. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I have another question for you Um, in regards to the ADHD resources. So you mentioned Timo. Um, What are some other favorite ADHD resources that you have found or um, self-help books? podcasts or well when I was diagnosed the first thing I did was I went to Apple Podcasts and I typed in women ADHD and I found the uh, smart ass uh, ADHD for smart ass women podcast by Tracy Outsuka and I just started binge listening Mm -hmm. episode after episode after episode and then she would have guests on and I would kind of fall down those rabbit holes one of her guests called it a think hole which I love that term yeah (laughs) Um, and so I but her her podcast was a really great fit for me I just really liked her story and and I found her really relatable so I'll put that in in the show notes and I think there's been a few podcasts and then somehow I think it was in the uh smartass ADHD for smartass women Facebook group that has like 10,000 members no more than that I think it has like 20,000 members it's a little oh overwhelming but somehow I I saw a post from Jesse Romero for the uh, entrepreneurs group 
which I loved. I joined it and I love it because it's just sort of smaller and more intimate, although it's growing too fast. Uh, But at the time when I first joined, it just sort of felt like, you know, a bunch of really cool women all hanging out together. And that's been great because I think, you know, that joining groups, finding that community, we have, we all have that same question of like, oh my God, does this, is this ADHD? Does this happen to you too? You know, like I just kept posting in those groups over and over again, being like, oh my God, is this, is, I think this might be ADHD. And then just feeling so understood and so seen and so validated. I think it joining those groups was so important. Um, And then when I started to, when I just, that's also why I decided to call this podcast Women and ADHD, because (laughs) I knew that when I went to go look for something, that was exactly what I would have typed in the search engine. Um, And I know, right? Yeah. So I'm a total podcast junkie and, and I'm listening to them constantly. I finally actually listened to, um, the, the Ned Hollowell book, which driven to distraction, which had been kind of on enough number one, you know, or top 10 books to read about ADHD that I listened to that. And it's really, you know, it's hard when you're super excited and super hyper-focused to like sit and read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but so I listened to it while I was like walking and driving and it was, it was great. I mean, it was, it's a really great primer for anyone who is, um, um, just still learning about like topics like executive functioning and RSD and a lot of this terminology that we throw around, like we know, you know, like we're experts, but you have to still <laughs> kind of have to learn about this stuff to begin with. But yeah, like executive function, emotional regulation, uh, hyperfocus. These are all just like shorthands that we all use now. Yeah, it's funny because before I knew what ADHD was and how it presented in adult women, I attributed all of my things, which all of these things, I attributed them to how I was raised, um, trauma, you know, all of these other things. And now I'm like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) I mean, yes, surely there's, you know, some crossover, especially in the trauma department, but yeah, um, it's pretty interesting. What do you think has changed the most for you since you've been diagnosed? Absolutely. My self-talk, you know, uh, and, and feeling like for the first time, I mean, I think there's even a book with this title, which is like, you mean I'm not crazy and lazy and stupid? (laughs) Uh, No, it's ADHD. I mean, really that just that overwhelming sense of relief and, and again, like feeling like, my life is, is excited. Like I'm just so excited now to sort of move forward with this understanding because I feel like invincible in a way that I never did before. And, and I, you know, I know that there's sort of mixed feelings about talking about ADHD, like it's a superpower. Um, but it really does. Like, I think for one, you know, I've spent 45 years being down on myself. I'm just yeah. <laughs> like embrace the fact that like for the first time in my life, I'm feeling like I'm not a failure, you know, and, and that that's yeah. not my default and that, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for what I can accomplish now with that 
understanding and and how I've like you know how we've been able to so many of us have been able to like flip that script for yeah. ourselves and I mean it's really just it's I feel like it's positively impacted just my relationships it's positively impacted like how I mother and and especially my relationship with my husband like I think you know I used to bring so much like guilt and shame to the table because I just always sort of felt like well obviously this is happening because I'm a bad person and Mm. and now like I'm able to kind of really stop and look and and like describe what is happening and kind of, you know, like if we have a disagreement, I'll, I'll, I'll say out loud, like, oh, okay, I'm starting to shut down because I'm, you're saying one thing, but this is what, I, what I'm hearing. And I, like, you know, right. like I'm able to kind of like talk through it in a way that I wasn't able to do before. And I think it's been such a relief for him, you know, cause it's kind of suck to be married to somebody that you love and, <laughs> and have, you know, admire and, and feel like is, is a great person, but to, ha- to have to watch them be so down on themselves all the time, like that's right. going to be really tiring and frustrating for a partner. Right. And right. he, I mean, he has no shortage of like ego and self-esteem. <laughs> that's never been anything he's struggled with. And so I think, you know, I think it's, it's nice for him to, it's really refreshing for him to see me, you know, not always feel like I'm the, the, Eeyore of the relationship. <laughs> right. Yeah. It brings so much more, I feel like, um, like a whole nother perspective. And with that perspective comes so much grace for you. Mm-hmm. yourself. And even looking back um, to when you were, you know, to, to young you, like the story that, that you told us earlier. I mean, how do you ever want to go back and give her a hug? <laughs> oh, all the time. Oh my goodness, all the time. And again, you know, with my son who is nine and he, I see so many similarities. You know, he's in the fourth grade, which is like a little bit earlier than when my grades really took a turn. But mm-hmm. because he's had home and remote learning, I'm seeing so much more of of how he is learning and how he's interacting and how hard he is on himself and, and how right. much he struggles. And so like, I really want to get him diagnosed and my husband is worried. He feels like, oh, there's stigma. And is this going to affect how he feels about himself? And I'm just like, oh my God, like, no, I mean, having this, if I had had this diagnosis when I was a kid, like how my life would have been so different. Right. I mean, it's just overwhelming to think about how, how wonderful it would have been to have this understanding as Mm -hmm. a young person. And, um, yeah. Oh, I totally, I want to give all of our younger selves hugs when I hear our stories. Cause yeah, I mean, so, so much of that internalized struggling. Yeah. And feeling like a square peg in a round hole. Yep. I used to always say that growing up. <laughs> I hear so many things that you say. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I have to hold myself back from like jumping in and being like, yes, yes. <laughs> I totally get it. I totally do. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But that's why I love this podcast so much because I feel like in hearing other women's stories, I think a lot of us, I'm sure it's not just me, but you feel like, I mean, I, yours is the only podcast that I literally out loud will be like, yes. And I will be in the middle of the store listening to it in my ears. And I'm, and I'm like, "Ah, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I just love it so much because I've never felt like there's anyone else in the world who understood 
you know, and to see and, and it, or to even understand that someone else also is struggling with the things that you do. It's, it's just really nice. It's encouraging and it's affirming. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's so great to hear. And I love it. And thank you for your interest and hearing my story too. And yes, thank you for sharing. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.